You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another Flip My Funnel episode. And this podcast has been just growing like crazy. And one of the reasons it's growing is because we have people that are doing Tuesday and Thursday takeovers. So today, I'm really excited to introduce Barb uh, Mosher Zink. She is running her own podcast called Content Matters. And it's a really, really good podcast. And she's interviewing some ridiculously good people in content. So if you're in content, you got to listen to this whole series. So Barb, welcome to the Flip Mountain Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right, Barb, share a little bit about your podcast and the type of people you're interviewing in this series. So the Content Matters podcast is a podcast that looks at all aspects of content from, especially from the marketing side, but also from like technical documentation, like how all, how it works to support every kind of group across the company. And I have been really, really fortunate to interview some really great, smart experts. Um, Scott Abel, Anne Hanley, Matthew Sweezy, um, Ian Truscott, um, Jim Edmonds, uh, Kem Mayfield. Mathley, sorry, I said his name wrong. But um, yeah, there's just there were so many. I've, we've been going for two years now, and it's just it's just been phenomenal. Fantastic, Barb. I cannot wait to hear this episode. So let's just dive right into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Content Matters podcast. Today, we're tackling the topic of ethics and digital content. How can we, as tech providers, advocate for better ethics and standards over profits? That's kind of the question that we're asking today. The Facebook boycott, Stop Hate for Profit, that's happening this month, it's a clear sign that things need to change and that businesses, whether they're B2B, B2C, or whatever, and if they're technology businesses or otherwise, there's an opportunity to help drive that change. So joining me today to talk about the role of tech providers in fostering a more respectful discourse is Jim Edmonds, CEO of Ingenius, who is the sponsor of the Content Matters podcast. And Jim has over 20 years experience in the tech space, so I think it's going to be a great conversation. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, Barb. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's great to have you here. You were the first time, first time we've had you on the podcast, which is really cool. And it's a really important topic to be discussing with you. So I'm I'm glad that we're doing it. So um, let's start with this question. Social media has, it's a really critical component of all brands marketing strategies today. And obviously, part of that is advertising on these social networks like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Instagram, whatever. Um, I'm just wondering from your opinion, um, why is it so important for your company to advertise on these networks? And do you have any concerns about where and when your ads are displayed? Hmm. Yeah, social media platforms are very compelling for advertisers. And I think there's a number of reasons there. You know, first, social media networks have incredible reach. I think something like 80% of consumers use social media, and that's pretty much worldwide. In the US, uh, around 60% of consumers like or follow a brand on social media. But that's really compelling for an advertiser 
those platforms continue to grow, both in numbers of people using the platforms and time spent on the platforms. Today, American consumers on average are spending over two hours a day on social media. That still lags behind TV, but that's a significant chunk of time that you can reach out to an audience. Yeah. Second is depth, or the ability of social media platforms to target an audience for advertisers. They have our profile information, they're tracking our behavior, they're monitoring our preferences. It's a medium that's custom tailored to advertise. And third is innovation. Um, Social media platforms are constantly innovating. They're developing new features. They're creating new algorithms that yield results for advertisers. If you think about TV and radio advertising, that model hasn't really changed in 50 years. But social media platforms are innovating every day. Do I have concerns about where and when our ads are displayed? Yeah, I think that's a concern, but I think it's likely we'll have tools that give us more control of that. My bigger concern is about the model generally. Um, social media platforms really show us the promise of digital publishing and digital content generally. It's the medium's ability to track with certitude the audience's engagement with your content. So that's the promise of digital content. There's a dark side to that. And we see that in social media. It exposes the opportunities for manipulation, exploitation, misinformation, and we all know how this works and where it leads. At the end of the day, <clears throat> Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, they could say they're technology companies. They're not. They're advertising platforms, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. And the owners of those platforms are primarily interested in juicing their numbers. So at some point, there's this real danger that we all become victims of social media success at targeting, manipulating, and exploiting their audience. Mm-hmm. That's um, it doesn't. It's kind of doesn't sound nice when you used to put it that way. <laughs> it's kind of. Yeah, I don't like that idea. We're the beneficiaries of it, but you know we're also uh, maybe the victims of it. Yeah. So um, and you're so for you the so that the stop uh, stop hate for profit campaign that's been going on over Facebook, which is over the month of July, um, that's got over a thousand companies named companies anyway, participating in the boycott, and they're not running ads on Facebook for the month. And you've chosen, Ingenix itself has chosen to pause their Facebook ads for the month as well as a show of support. Is this something that you felt was important for you to do? Yeah, we did. I mean, I don't think Facebook's going to miss our advertising budget. Yeah. I'm not sure they're going to miss, you know, the aggregate of the advertising budget, although I do think it's making an impact. Um, but it kind of comes down to what kind of world we want to live in. We've seen the damage that social media can do. Um, you know, violence attributed to online hate speech, political polarization, um, erosion of our democratic foundations. Um, there are social networks that have taken actions to address this. I think in 2019, YouTube changed its al- algorithm for uh, recommendation, and I think it half the numbers of people linking to racist and misinformation videos. Twitter is finally putting some restrictions on um, doctored content and they're labeling hate speech. Right. So in my mind, this is all a little bit uh, uh, too little too late, but they're making progress. You know, Facebook, by contrast, refuses to take any responsibility or accountability for the content in the network. And they're very proud of pointing that out. 
So yeah, I think it's really important. We need to hold them accountable to a higher standard. So it's interesting that they they have that perspective, like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook overall has that perspective. Um, and, and they're kind of allowed to have that perspective over because there's there's an amendment to in a law, I can't remember what it is right now, that that says that, you know, they kind of don't have to they don't have to take responsibility necessarily for what people publish on their site because you can't I guess it's complicated to do but I just I don't know I think that's kind of a cop out for technology for these um social media companies just to it's like you said just because it's they need the people to advertise to and they don't care who they are it's disappointing in that respect yeah the, you're you're absolutely right Barb and I think very insightful to point out that there is a uh, institutional structure to this that allows them to you know, benefit from the anonymity, um, the lack of accountability, and lack of responsibility. There's no consequences to them as a company or for, to their bottom line uh, for the content that they're putting on their network. Right. So, I mean, for Facebook, and it's been pretty clear, they don't really care about the money. They're a $70 billion company. They know that at the end of July, 99.5% of those advertisers are coming back online and things will really go on as normal. It, that's what it appears like anyway. And I, I'm just wondering, it's not about money. It's about something else. So is there something else that brands who are advertising on Facebook or any other social network can do to make a bigger impact outside of just saying, I'm not going to, you're not going to get my ad money. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we all, um, at the end of July, stoop our shoulders and sheepishly go back to Facebook because we can't, uh, we can't resist that ROI on advertising. Um, I don't think anyone will be surprised if that happens. It wouldn't be the first time, uh, corporate, large corporations choose, choose to pursue their short term but don't count us out. I mean, this thing may have legs. It may be more successful than people give it credit for. There's a lot of bluster on Zuckerberg's part right now and others at Facebook that they won't be intimidated by the boycott. I mean, come on, give me a break. As if they don't care and they're not influenced by their bottom line. Yeah, um, that's true. The reality is, I think they have been impacted by the boycott and I think they're changing their policies and actions because of it. They don't want to admit that, but I think um, this started with a general backlash from the 2016 U.S. presidential election, and it's continued to grow. What's interesting here, I think, is that this is a boycott by advertisers. So, you know, typically, if there's a media boycott, it's by consumers, and they're targeting the advertisers. Yeah. If we really want to make a bigger impact than the consumers, the end users on Facebook, um, need to get in on the boycott. They need to start taking action, too. And we'll see what happens. It'd be interesting how that would work if you could actually rally up enough people to boycott Facebook for a month and, and see what that would do to the company. And I mean, obviously, that would impact ad revenue, their advertising capability, because nobody would be on it. But I just I don't know that people are there. I don't know if people are ready to make that kind of a if there's enough people, I guess, to make that kind of a stand. I don't know either, but if there was, it put the fear of God in it. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So in terms of technology providers, though, there's a lot of discussion around, you know, and, 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 and yeah, it's, it's directed mostly at the social networks. You know, you have a responsibility to um, 
foster more respectful conversations and content. But it also seems, I think it's even for not just social networks, but anyone who has any kind of a, a SaaS platform that's letting companies on and kind of, you know, has a public interface. Like, do you think that um, something needs to change overall for all kind of technology companies that can offer that to kind of help make that better for people? Well, yes and no. I mean, generally, there's been an erosion in the tone and tenor of public discourse in all media over the last 10, 15 years. So it's not just social media, it's traditional media as well. And it's a cumulative effect. They feed and drive each other. Yeah. I think digital content is especially susceptible to fostering hate and divisiveness and misinformation. Um, it's because users can post anonymously. Um, it's because they can't be held accountable. There's little or no fact checking or even a semblance of responsibility to the facts. Um, the social media networks don't provide context. They don't curate content like traditional media do. Um, the, the viability of that content is solely based on its circulation and its aggregation. I mean, that sounds dystopian because it is. It doesn't bode well for the future if that's our future of our information. Right. You know, at Ingenix, we make the presses for digital content. And as a company, we feel strongly that people who use these tools uh, should use them responsibly. The vast majority of business enterprises, I think, use uh, digital media and digital content responsibly. They can't traffic in lies and hate and misinformation because they're held accountable to it. The consequences would be too severe. The argument you hear on the other side, on social media, but particularly from Facebook and Twitter, and their most egregious users, is this is all about free speech. You know, right. in the U.S., we, we take our freedom of speech very seriously, you know, especially uh, when it's freedom of speech that we agree with, not so enthusiastically for freedom of speech we don't agree with. Right. But. Freedom of speech isn't an absolute right. The U.S. Supreme Court has consistently uh, held that there are limits to freedom of speech. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater when there is no fire. Yet that is what's happening every day on social networks and every night on certain television networks. I am. Um, I find it confusing and, and I'm I'm Canadian, so I'm not kind of I, I see what's happening in the U.S. and I know that similar things happen in Canada. But um, I find it kind of interesting how the media outside the social networks has really kind of really driven some of this kind of anti-hate kind of conversation as well on both sides, really. I'm not kind of going on one side or the other. It's just it's just freedom of speech is is it's an interesting topic, I think, probably well outside the scope of our conversation. But I mean, it's just. It just seems like it's such a big deal that you can't, I don't know. I don't see how you can have that conversation anymore. It just, there's too many bad things that get said to, about too many people online. That's it's, it's kind of disappointing really. Yeah, it is. I want to go back to what you said about it happening in Canada. I always, I always thought Canada was so, such a much more civil society. We all say please and thank you. <laughs> no, you know, and um, but it happens here. It, there's all that kind of stuff happens here as well. And and um, and from a an angle of how it affects our children, 
I think that's probably even more systemic here is that, you know, kids get bullied online all the time. I mean, children committing suicide because of that. Like, in, I mean, that's the kind of stuff like I, I definitely don't agree with any of the any any of the anti-hate, but having children myself, I don't I just I don't want my kids on social media. I'm just terrified of how that's going to impact how they how they perceive themselves and how they grow up. I don't blame. Yeah. So here's a question for you, um, because you have a design background and you focus a lot on kind of user experience design. Jonathan uh, Greenblatt, who is the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, ADL, he suggested um, this idea of building anti-hate into products as a design principle. Is that even possible? Do you think you can do that? You know, I think Jonathan Greenblatt has been very insightful in his criticism of Facebook and social media generally. Um, but I don't know about the uh, design principle thing. I mean, we're dealing with human beings here. You're not going to design hate-free human speech or any other form of sanitized human interaction. Um, this isn't a manufacturing process. It's content. It's human. It's messy. The very notion of designing a solution, I think, actually plays into this whole fallacy that Facebook and other social media platforms are promoting, which is they can moderate content with AI and with algorithms and with thousands of low-wage workers in the Philippines and India. I don't think that's the solution. It's not about writing another policy or designing a new algorithm. It's about human beings uh, monitoring and working with other human beings um, to create responsible and accountable content. Imagine if every Facebook account, in order to start one, you had to provide a um, valid government ID and you had to give your home address. You think that might clean up some of the hate speech? Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but no I mean, one can do it then, right? Well, maybe we just opened a, a second office. Well, not just three years ago, we opened a second office in a small town in Eastern Washington called Walla Walla. It's a lovely place. It's about one twentieth the size of Seattle, where we're headquartered. So I see people in this town, leadership and leadership positions, uh, consistently and constantly working across political and social divisions to get things done. It's a little bit harder to demonize somebody when you run into them in a grocery store every week. And I yeah. think that's part of the social media. It's really taken out that uh, connection, the, the human part of that connection. But, but, but they say that's what social media brings us, brings us closer together. Like, it, so I don't understand which way is it like, yes, it pulls us apart because you don't have to actually look at someone's face, but at the same time, you're closer together because you know more about what's going on with your friends and your family than you probably did if you weren't on social media. Yeah. But I think they're, they're, they're part and parcel of the same thing. You know, it amplifies the small group of people that you're connected to and the even smaller group of people within that group that actually post content. And it increases the divisions and polarization between you and other people that aren't part of that. Right. If I, so, you know, I, I like to make a joke that in Seattle, I'll run into somebody in the grocery store that I know once a decade. And here in Walla Walla, I run into somebody I know, you know, two or three times a week. Those people are not part of, they would not be part of my Facebook network. But politically, um, they're very different than me. Um, but we have a wonderful connection um, that's outside of my predefined profile and preferences. Right. Okay. 
Yeah, it's. I don't. I don't actually share a lot of my family stuff on Facebook and or any of my ideas, politically or otherwise. So I kind of choose to kind of steer away from that, just to not get mixed up in all of it. So, um, so what needs to happen now? Are there other steps that brands and tech providers can take to kind of keep us to keep us going on this path that we've kind of started with the Facebook boycott? Are there things that that we can all be doing to kind of continue being more smart and how we we kind of treat each other good question i don't know i mean we shouldn't stop at the end of july that's for sure mm. uh, as advertisers we need to demand more i'm not sure how we do that uh, i think more importantly as users we need to demand more users of social media need to I think the vast majority of people who use social media use it responsibly and they want other people to use it responsibly. Um, you know, it's, we can say, wouldn't it be great if we all stopped using social media for a month or maybe forever? I don't know if that will ever happen. Probably not going to happen. But it would be nice if, uh, it would be nice if some kind of action from, sorry about that. It would be nice if some kind of action by users would get Facebook's attention. And other social media platforms. Sure. I want to return to something you mentioned earlier, you know, which is the legal protection protection in the United States that we give social media companies, shielding them from liability uh, for the content that's posted on their platforms. So, you know, again, it, it sort of encourages this anonymity, this lack of consequences, lack of responsibility, lack of accountability. We took that away, and interestingly enough. Uh, our president has weaponized that in his uh, ongoing battle with uh, with social media um, labeling of his po- of his tweets. Uh, but if we actually went through with that and revoked that, I think that would change things overnight. All of a sudden, um, social media platforms would have to give serious consideration to the kinds of content that's appearing on their networks. That's not dissimilar to what used to happen in this country in terms of regulating the public airways and broadcasters and uh, creating standards uh, for um, broadcast media and uh, broadcast content. So, you know, why not? Again, you know, as, as business enterprises, we're held accountable for our content. Uh, broadcasters are less so today, but have been held accountable for their content. Why shouldn't social media platforms be held accountable for their for their content like the rest of us? Right, I I agree with you, but but I also I agree that that there's a lot of media out there that they can't be held accountable. Some of the stuff that you hear is just I don't know is is not right, is not true. Yet they're allowed to say it, and they're not. And and they some of them actually say things that are very um, not not anti hate anti whatever you want to say that um i don't know how they get away with saying it i guess because maybe they're not considered you know traditional media i guess there's seems to be a difference in the type of news organizations um in the u.s anyway i haven't seen any of them like that up here not that there might there might be some i don't know what they are but um it just seems like if well they can get away social media can get away with it now then these kind of newsy media organizations can get away with it. And it's just spiraling out of control. You're right. I mean, the, the, standards, the standards have really, really backslid on the standards in this country. And you know, then you go 
you start taking this worldwide, and you know, obviously, um, you don't have the kind of, of legal or constitutional infrastructure in many places in the world that would even care about this kind of thing. Yeah. But do you think that government is really the right place to make the changes? Do you think, just in terms of how long it takes them to actually make any changes, official changes, we're going to need something faster than what they can probably do? Yeah, I I don't have a good answer to the question, Barb. I don't know what we so what we what can we as technology providers do? Um, you know, <laughs> we uh, we continually featureize and build into our our content management uh, software. Um, and I'm not talking about ingenious disingenuous. I'm talking about the industry as a whole that um, both enables um, this kind of peer to peer uh, interaction and um, uh, content tracking, user tracking, preference tracking. Um, we don't focus a lot on um, the accountability aspects of it, and I think uh, it's a good, it's a really good uh, question that you asked. Maybe we should start focusing on on how we give organizations the tools um, to enforce and and manage greater accountability and greater responsibility. Yeah. I just, I, I think that we kind of have to look at that as a potential move forward because the, the idea of stopping advertising, I think most consumers wouldn't care at all. They'd be happy to not be inundated with advertisements from companies that they're not necessarily interested in. So I don't know that just stopping advertising on social media is, is going to make a huge amount of difference other than to force the social media company to kind of try to make changes or to at least say it's going to make changes. It just, I think it's got to, you're right. It's got to come from everywhere, everywhere. And at the same time, and that's probably the biggest challenge we face. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was a great conversation, Jim. Um, I think a very important one, and I'm glad that you were able to kind of come on today and talk with us about it. Thanks, Barb. I thought it was a great conversation too. I really appreciate that being able to spend some time uh, with you and be on the podcast. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.